Now at this time with our sermon, Barnabas Grayson, Christian Conduct. Good afternoon, everyone. I guess I should get rid of my gum. Want to look at it first? <laughs> nice and warm. Got to wrap it in paper because I learned recently that, uh, you know, Carolyn, whenever we're traveling, we, we like to chew gum and annoy each other. But, uh, uh, she used to throw her gum out the window, you know, whenever she got tired of chewing it. And she learned from her cousin uh, who told her, said, did you know that if birds uh, get hold of that gum, that it st uh, sticks their bill together? So <laughs> she started wrapping her uh, gum and littering the countryside now, but <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> she puts it in her pocket or in the car door thing and... Uh, gets rid of it later but so now I do that I'm conscious of that because you know our feathered friends don't need to chew gum <laughs> you know birds are supposed to you know they're supposed to wipe the sticky off of their beaks and, and they do that uh, they're the only uh, critter that can uh, eat those uh, mistletoe berries and you know it's sticky and so uh, to rub it off, they, they find a tree branch and they scrape their beak on it. And wherever they scrape their beak, it leaves, you know, that mistletoe residue. And that's how those mistletoes grow on trees. Christian conduct. We know that there are many issues of immorality and misbehavior among the many in our society. Misconduct among people and misconduct among, even among Christians. And we see and hear about all kinds of things like domestic violence. We hear about beatings and, and murders and high profile cases that, you know, it just seems to absorb people into the goings on among the rich and famous. We hear about greed and corruption among CEOs and corporations. We hear about police brutality and, and hate crimes and, you know, road rage that takes place. We hear about physical and verbal bullying, not just, you know, among uh, children, but also among adults. That uh, sometimes they use uh, Facebook or something like that to post and Twitter personal likes and dislikes about someone or, or something. And we hear about the lies and the half-truths and the hypocrisy that goes on among political parties, news organizations, even religion. We know such things go on. We know that there is misconduct. And sometimes all we can do is just shake our head and wonder what is wrong with people. Don't they know better than to do that? We also know that there is a cause, and we've learned this, that there is a cause for every effect. God's word says that my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And we're looking at the knowledge and the wisdom that comes from God, from his word, as found in the pages of the Bible. Here a little and there a little. And that's how we, that's how we come to the truth. That's how we come to understand the truth. We know that it's not found in one place in the scripture. 
And we look into God's word, which you know uh, uh, earlier was referred to as a mirror. And the cause for the things that ail society today, there are uh, things that we can look at that causes every effect. And it affects us. And it's due to a lack of godly knowledge and also the children of disobedience. The Bible tells us to be wise as serpents, but harmless as doves. In the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says this, that we're not to be deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. So, you know, we're told plainly, don't be misled, that bad company can corrupt good manners. Listening to bad manners or, or seeing uh, the misconduct of others can draw us into those worldly ways. Verse 34 says to awake to righteousness and sin not. Basically, come to your senses. Just, just look around you. You know, the saying, uh, look before you leap so you don't transgress. For some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. I speak this to your sh shame, he says. It's like saying you should know better. For there are some who are ignorant of godly ways, and, and you've got to be careful. Here in the context of these scriptures, we see that some of the Corinthian members show a lack of knowledge about the resurrection. And we know that there is contention and division among them. But we know that the Bible is God's instruction book to us. There are teachings and examples of good and bad behavior and the consequences of each, and that we're to learn from those things and apply uh, good things in our Christian conduct. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, let no corrupt communication uh, proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. The uh, NIV uh, translate that is don't let unwholesome talk, any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Verse 30, it says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you are sealed unto the day of redemption. So we know that the Holy Spirit can be grieved, that as we become aware of maybe something that we do, you know, our heart might bother us. It might uh, sorrow over something we say or do, and it grieves our Holy Spirit because it becomes aware to us that, you know, there, uh, our misconduct in such and such a way uh, has not been good. Verse uh, 31 let all bitterness, it says, and wrath, and anger, and clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. This word malice implies a deep-seated, often unexplainable desire to see someone suffer, experience injury, or uh, distress. Or it can suggest a causeless passing, misch misch mischievous impulse. So we see that these words, uh, bitterness and wrath and anger, these are atti attitudes that sometimes frame our conduct. But 
How do we replace those thoughts? How do we put them aside? You know, in verse uh, uh, 30, 31, it says, uh, put away from you those things. Verse uh, 32, and be ye kind one to another. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God forgave you. For Christ's sake has forgiven you. But there are things in the world that does go on that cause us anger. There are things in the world that can stir us up. And there are things that can cause us to have bitterness and an unforgiving attitude. We see sinful things being done in the world among the children of disobedience that just doesn't sit well with us. And we have righteous anger because it goes against our sense of Christian conduct. But among ourselves, we know uh, things that we see in the world are things that should not be among us. And we also notice here that there is a point where forgiveness is in order. So in Christian conduct, we are admonished, first of all, in Ephesians 1, uh, uh, it tells us to be therefore followers of God as dear children, as dear children, seeking God, seeking to do what is right. Ephesians 5, verse 2, it says for us to walk in love as Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That's a fragrant offering that, that pleases God. And we do that by imitating Christ's love for others, as he did the will of God. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. So there are things that are unbecoming in Christian conduct as these things that are mentioned. In verse 4, neither filthiness, nor fool, uh, t uh, foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient or befitting, but rather giving of thanks, giving, uh, a thanksgiving. For this you know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That's because they've set their heart and their attitudes on worldly things and on worldly ways that won't benefit them in the long run. But let no man, verse 6, deceive you with vain words. For because of these things comes the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Just as we know, as we see the misconduct in our society today, we know that something needs uh, to be done. Something needs to be corrected and a right way established. But, you know, we are pretty much powerless. And what we can do is pray for the kingdom of God to settle all of these things that are going on in our society today, the misconduct. And that's just per perhaps maybe a mild way of saying, of describing the terrors and the horrible things that happen to people in our world today. Verse 7 be not you, therefore, partakers with them. Don't partake with them. So we see that there is a moral contrast between the life of a Christian and the people of this world and how they conduct themselves. If we compromise with the world, that 
contrast can be lost. It can be diminished. Verse 8, For you were sometimes darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And using the, uh, the uh, previous message, you know, the mirror, it's like the mirror is sometimes saying to us, you were sometimes darkness, but now are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Verse 9, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, to the eternal. We know that morals are defined as principles of right conduct. When we become Christian, we leave our old self behind. At least that's what we're supposed to do. We become a, a new creature in Christ. And we know that judgment is coming on all the world. And, you know, we don't want to be a part of that, that judgment that is to come in which we might receive condemnation. 2 Corinthians 5 it says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body, in his flesh, while he draws the breath of life according to that or according to what he's done, whether it be good or bad. So we know that uh, some are going to awake to uh, everlasting shame, some to everlasting glory because of the things they've done, good or bad. Verse 11, 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God. And, and I trust uh, also are made manifest in your consciences. Now, you know with, that there are many people who await trial for some misconduct they've done, for some horrible thing they've committed, for whatever crime it is that is going to make them appear before the magistrate or the judge or the court for some you know, misdeed or uh, misconduct. And we know that it can be a discomforting feeling to see what judgment is received. Uh, sometimes it's a big fine. And uh, when you uh, get a summons, you know, uh, you know that there's a, a date uh, uh, that you've got to go before the judge to see what's uh, going to take place. Going on in verse 12, we, for we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them, which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we we're all dead. So we see the Apostle Paul in telling of the gospel of salvation that they themselves set an example. That they also uh, show us the way to a right conduct that makes for uh, a good savor, a good, a, a good uh, thing in the eyes of God. For the love of Christ, it says, constrains us. So Christ's love is what compels all of us. It's what should compel all of us. He sacrificed his life for you. He sacrificed his life for me and, and for all the world. He died for all and for all who would, uh, who would come to the understanding of the salvation that is there. But only love for Christ, knowing what he did, will move us to follow him 
and conduct ourselves in the right way. Verse 15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. So it tells us we, we're not to be selfish. We're to put Christ ahead of everything. That his way is very important to us in the way we conduct ourselves. So the apostles see that God's purpose of rearing children of obedience is at work, even among these divided and contentious Christians. He hasn't given up on them. He won't give up on them unless they just, just uh, cast it all aside and walk away. Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. And so you can see sometimes how the writings of Paul can be a little confusing, and sometimes these are arrested to you know, their own destruction. But from a worldly point of view, Christ at that time looked to be a failure. He suffered a criminal's death. He was seen as flesh, and he was rejected. And even today, some just merely say he was a good man who came upon the scene with good intentions to try to change things. But that was, that was only that he failed as a, a religious reformer. And they mocked his kingship. A crown of thorns was uh, pressed down upon his head. And if you know the feeling of being stuck by a thorn, you know, if the point is real sharp, it can go into the flesh pretty easy, and a drip of blood will just pour forth from that puncture. And imagine this crown of thorns being placed down upon our Savior's head. But he bore it all for you and for me. Thorns are figurative of sin and its consequences. In Genesis 3.18, verse 17, uh, 17 uh, and unto Adam, this is from Genesis 3, and unto Adam he said, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree, of which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of, of your life. So instead of obeying God, of, uh, remembering his word, he listened to someone else, was convinced by someone else, was deceived uh, by someone else. And verse 18, it says, Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to you, and ye shall eat the herb of the field. So we see that this consequence of disobeying God brought forth thorns and thistles. And in verse 19, in the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return unto the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and unto dust shall you return. So we see that death came unto man and also undo hardships and trials and troubles of all sorts. And even among these Corinthians who were contentious and who were divided, Paul saw hope that God's work in them would be done, that they will change. For they were made aware of the glory of the resurrection that is to come and, and how to conduct themselves in achieving everlasting life in Christ. 
Verse 17, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. To do that, we have to uh, be aware to be cognizant of, of, of how we conduct ourselves before him and before others. Verse 21, for he has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So our conduct is based then on love. It is based on following Jesus Christ. But as all believers must do, we have to choose whether to be in harmony with Christ in attitude and conduct are with the world and its ways. But the mission of Paul, and as everyone who uh, believes and uh, can share the gospel of salvation, is to persuade others to become a new creature and to conduct themselves differently from the way the world is, that they might be made righteousness unto God. Hebrews 8, chapter 8. As we know, God's law is then placed in our hearts. It's written in our hearts, our mind, in our conscience to guide us, to lead us through uh, this, on the right path to salvation and everlasting life. Verse 10 of Hebrews 8, For this is the covenant that, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. You know, there was a time when you had to be reminded of the laws of God by uh, something you might have uh, in the front uh, of your forehead. It might be uh, words, maybe on, on a book or a prayer book or something, just to remind you of the law of God. And sometimes we do that also, a scripture or a thing that might be written uh, when we are confronted with some sort of a decision, you know, some people have a little band of WWJD. What would Jesus do? So that makes us think. But those laws are written in our mind and in our heart, and they come to us whenever we have a decision. And sometimes that decision or, or those words or the right way to conduct ourselves could become lost. And we might forget about them. But the promise is that he is placed into our hearts and our mind and conscience to guide us. And they, and, and they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know you the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. That's a great uh, thing to know, that God has this, that he, he is in this attitude toward us. In that he saith, a new covenant, he has made the first old. Now that which decays and waxes, waxes old is ready to vanish away. We know that there are many people around us who have God's spirit and truth in them. 
And, you know, who are we, who are we to judge? They may not be perfect in, in every way, but they have a love and an outgoingness. They have compassion. They have helpfulness that even some of us, perhaps we wish we had more of. Uh, sometimes you might uh, go to a restaurant and you will notice that there might be uh, uh, some people there who, who hold hands and they pray over their meal. But sometimes we uh, have to be careful and hold back criticism or, or judgment because uh, they don't go to the same church we do. But we see that they have a love and, and a, a willingness to open their lives to the ways of God and to, to conduct themselves in the right way, whether it might be for show or, or what, you know, who are we to judge? Matthew uh, chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. People tend to treat each other as they are treated. Measure for measure. And why, verse 3, And why behold you the mote that is in your brother's eye? But consider not the being that is in your own eye. Or how will you say to your brother, Let me pull out the mote of your eye, and behold, a beam is in your own eye. You hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of your own eye, then shall you see clearly to cast out the mote out of your brother's eye. So we see that we have to work upon ourselves first. We have to get rid of the things, to do away with those things that set us back in our conduct. James 4, verse 11. Speak not evil of one another, brethren. The original here tells us not to speak against one another, and that includes all forms of criticism. He that speaks evil of his brother and judges his brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. But the point is that a person who takes it on himself to judge sets himself above the law. And, you know, this is where gossip and this is where slander, this is where corrupt communication with malice can occur. Yet we know that there are times and situations in which, you know, we must judge for ourselves whether to step away from things where uh, misconduct might be going on. Years ago, as many of us who have been in the church a long time, you know, we had to decide whether to follow a certain organization whose conduct you know, we looked upon as unbecoming of Christian or the right way. And some of us had, you know, uh, there were other occasions, not one, but two, and perhaps some of you uh, three. But we sought to follow Jesus Christ, and we know that caused division. And some of the things that are hard uh, to avoid in doing so is to resort to, you know, name-calling, reflecting disdain for those within and without any time that there is a stepping away from uh, what, you know, we perceive as a once Christian organization, you know, it's only in our, in, in our minds as how we perceive things. But when we decide to follow Christ and we say that we're following Christ, some will say, uh, you know, think, well, they think they're following Christ, but they're really not. And so, in Matthew 10, I don't have this down as a ref, uh, reference on, on, the, on the screen behind me. 
It says in verse 35, uh, Christ said, I am come to set a man at variance against his father and daughter against her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. So when we commit to Christ, to following Christ, we know that it may go against family tradition, uh, upbringing, values, family wishes, and uh, the way that they feel that uh, we should conduct ourselves in, from their perspective. And you know, some families won't have anything to do with each other because of little bits of, uh, of things that shouldn't amount to a mountain, but it does. The people uh, in a church or organization, you know, they say this or, or they do that, and sometimes people might refer to us and we might refer to others why those people are crazy. They don't have their heads on straight. They're headed for the lake of fire. They're Laodiceans. They are a dead church and so on. And so this unchristian-like conduct can come about. Matthew 5, verse 16, it says, To let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. They want, don't want to see, you know, don't let them see your misconduct. We're not to show our bad conduct, but to show good conduct, to show good, good works. And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Verse 17, don't think or think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot, or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So when we do these things that are pleasing to God, when we're conducting ourselves in a Christian way, it is like... Uh, teaching others, teaching others by the way we conduct ourselves, by the way we do things, by the way uh, we obey God. And the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, you have heard that it was said by them of old time, you shall not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger uh, of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Rekha, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. This word fool is from the Greek uh, word moros. It denotes dull, sluggish, from a, another root word that means stupid or, or silly. But here the word means morally worthless. And it's more serious than raka because uh, raka just scorns a, a man's mind and just calls him stupid. And we do stupid things sometimes. 
And we've been called stupid, you know. I have. <laughs> Probably later on today. Or <laughs> somehow, some way. <clears throat> if we have hostility and contempt uh, toward one another, you know, we put ourselves into a position of misconduct. That, that can have serious consequences. Instead, you know, we're to let our light shine. Not in our own conception of what is right and wrong, but in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Colossians 3, if you then be risen with Christ, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Can you picture that? Where Christ sits on the right hand of God, and he's there for you and for me. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. When you set your affection on things on the earth, you forget about those things that are of more value. Those things that we see that are, uh, that are of the Holy Spirit of God. Not on things on the earth, for you are dead. You're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, your members which are upon the earth, fornication and uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. We're to kill those things. We're to let them die and just, just put an end to those things. For which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which you also walked some time when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communications out of your mouth, lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds." And have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. For there is neither Greek or, nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free. But Christ is all, is all and in all. So put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another. Do we do that? Do we have forgiveness one to another? Forgiving one another? And if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. The thing that uh, love is the thing that holds things together. It holds together a family. It holds together a church. It holds together a nation. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you're called in one body, and be thankful. When you think about love as kind of the glue, uh, you know that in our world today there are different kinds of glues. You know, there's super glue, there's Elmer's glue, there's wood glue. And um, sometimes it takes a lot of glue to do certain jobs. You know, I tried super glue on uh, my uh, lawn tractor. And it had a big split in the seat, and um, super glue won't work because it's just too big and too heavy and bulky. So I saw at uh, one of these stores uh, a tube of construction glue. I'd never heard of construction glue. 
But I said, oh, I know what I'm going to use that for. And so I bought the construction glue, uh, I think for $2. It was, you know, it had some warpage at the bottom of it, so it was on sale. And uh, so I squeezed it out between this big gap in, in, in the seat. And, and, and I uh, put, the, put the clamps on it and, and left it there. And, you know, it held. So, you know, sometimes it takes a lot more love to hold things together. You know, you have to get to have, have the right amount of glue, and this stuff was thick, you know. And, but it worked. So, you know, love is the glue that can hold things together. It can, it can make for peace. Oh, I thought that was me. <coughs> My phone was ringing, I thought. lost my place. Oh, okay. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also you're called in one body and be ye thankful. So the lessons of God's word and his will for us is really never out of a date. What was pertinent to uh, Christians 2,000 years ago is the same for us today. So our Christian conduct must continue in those things as revealed in Christ's words. Verse 24. Verse, uh, chapter 24 verse 5. Many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. And kingdom against kingdom. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes and in diverse places. We know that these things are happening all over, overseas mostly. And we're very blessed and very fortunate to not have to be suffering a lot of these things. And we know that, you know, California, where half, uh, where half of the, the state is, is under severe drought. And that's, you know, uh, where a lot of the food stuff is grown. Uh, we can see how it, it would only take just a little while for us to face famine. And here in the Midwest, you know, we've been short on rain. There's been uh, uh, some drought, and, and this is, you know, the breadbasket of the nation. And we're under various levels of drought. You know, also there is a thing about Ebola, which has stricken some of those. And a couple of Americans have been, uh, uh, been infected and have been brought back to this country. Uh, you know, they were put into this kind of a plastic uh, seal on, on a gurney as they were, uh, were brought back. And you know what, what if, you know, that Ebola got loose? And it kind of reminds you of those, those movies that you see about a virus invading the population. So it's just, you know, things like that can happen and before you know it. And you know there are earthquakes being felt almost every day in Oklahoma which are, you know, natural and some man-made. And there's the war in the Middle East as well as political and religious tension going on. But verse 8, all these are the beginning of sorrows. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many 
shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. So the key to salvation is, you know, to not let Christian love grow cold. If it is, you know, it says, you know, stir up the spirit. <clears throat> in closing, in regard to Christian conduct, there are three things, although there's probably many others that I want to uh, leave you with. Uh, you know, about this Christian love, the revelation to uh, Christ referred to the Ephesians, to the Ephesian uh, church. He knew their works. He knew their patience. He knew their labor and their, uh, their endurance. But he had somewhat against them, saying that you know, they had left their first love. And he said, remember from where you have fallen and, and how it was when you had that first love and repent. In closing, three things here in, in our Christian conduct. Let it be marked with, by truthfulness. Ephesians 6, verse 14, Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Second, let it be marked by justice. In Micah 7, He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God? And three, let it be marked by love. Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, preferring one another, not slothful in business, be fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. One other scripture that's blank. <laughs> that really throws me now. Well, I had a good closing too, and now <laughs> can't find it. However, there's no better way, I guess, to close with than just with this third thing. Let our Christian conduct be marked with love. <laughs>